Welcome to On Repeat, the weekly podcast giving you an insight into the minds of musicians with me, Ellie Rashid. And me, Hattie Winter. So in this week's episode, we are going to be speaking to Nina Fine. I can't even tell you how excited I am for this episode. Nina is such a pleasure and she is a really soulful singer-songwriter and pianist from North London. She's got these kind of raw, earthly vocals with a kind of jazz-infused flavour combined with her really thoughtful lyrics and they echo themes of delicate self-reflection and nostalgia and a kind of realness which I think you'll really hear in this podcast actually. Nina has a background in music education, coaching, broadcasting and co-founding the wonderful Women in Jazz Partnership and it's led her to create, share, perform and facilitate music across multi-settings. I think it was a a Sound Connections conference I met Nina actually and I just thought she was wonderful and so inspiring so it really is such a pleasure to have her talk on on repeat. Um, She's also worked with leading partners including Ronnie Scott's Barbican, Abraham Wilson Foundation, Worldwide FM, Sound Connections and so many more. Almost lost my breath then. (laughs) So many Nina and uh, she's worked with different communities and people of all ages and backgrounds. So I guess vulnerability, truth, sensuality are really cornerstones of Nina's music and yeah we're going to be touching on a few of those things during our chat with her so uh, we're going to talk about boundaries quite a lot actually which is uh, something we love to talk about it's basically it's basically a, a little um, a little therapy session I think this one for you and um, yeah boundaries I guess boundaries in both a personal context but also within the music industry so you know what to do keep it locked keep it on repeat and I really hope you enjoy this one. This is Nina Fine. Whether it's through friends, whether it's through family, whether it's the serendipity of life in us stumbling upon things, we we come across things when we most need it and when we're able to receive them. And what I find fascinating, and I think it happens a lot with creativity. Um, I can give an example with myself. I bought an audio interface two years ago and I was like set on okay I I want to record my own music I need to empower myself I need to start making commitments to really valuing my music um and I've only and a friend I asked a friend to help me uh, link it up and so on but only in the past week have I actually set up and started recording and also felt the joy and the excitement and the desire to go into that space and so I find it fascinating how often in our lives or often in our careers, and I don't know how many people can resonate with this, there are actions we do to prove to ourselves that we value something, but they don't have the longevity or the impact because we're not ready. And then we later return and suddenly there is a readiness and a click. And I think we all have such different terms for what that experience is or what that means. 
but I find it so powerful. And to me, it just links all the way back to trust, which is if you trust that whatever you are offering and the time you offer it is enough, then the tools in which you are going to interact with to get you to that place um, will happen at the right time. But my God, that's yeah. fucking hard. It's so hard. <laughs> yeah, it's like easier said than done. Do you have any, um, actually to both of you, do you have anything that people have sent you that you feel like you haven't grasped onto yet, but you're yet to grasp onto in the Such future? Such a good question. Mm, probably several things. <laughs> I loads. <laughs> Well, so I think, so one of my examples, I suppose, is I got a band together, I think back in 2017, with mm. the most amazing musicians. I have, I have so much love for them as individuals and, and as musicians. Um, and I think this was one of the things where I really wanted to create the band to then get me to create more music and so on. And so to, to work with them, and, and I met some people through some initial friends. So those were the gifts, people introducing me to the musicians I could make music with. Um, but I wasn't ready to fully lead that band and I wasn't clear enough on who I was as an artist and what that message was. And so I think going through the motions of that and having a band sound was incredible, but it wasn't whole yet. And so, yeah, that would be a big one for me of like, you learn by doing and it's painful when it doesn't go the way you think, Mm. but that information carries you forward in another way. Yeah. And I had to let it go. Totally. I suppose we've been talking to a few people about collaboration and what you can learn from collaboration. And do you feel like um, you are you work best when you collaborate, or is that a part of your kind of individual creative process? Oh yeah, I I, I love collaborating, and I think for me collaboration goes well beyond music as well. Um, I find mm. ideas for me in the way that they build is through soundboarding. And I also have a deep love and respect for anyone that is an expert or has skills in areas I don't have. I very much recognise the areas I excel in or adore and and the ones that I don't. So I think collaboration is key Um, on an industry level, on a sector level, on a grassroots level. um, Having voices from so many different people, as as long as it's um, geared towards an intention, is really key. But I would also say when it comes to songwriting, like actual lyrics, which matter to me so much. Um, I have to, I, I usually, ever since I was 10, I've done that on my own. And maybe there's something to be said for the alone space to go into the places that are vulnerable. Um, and then the spaces of what that means to collaborate at a later stage. So I suppose that's my process. When, oh, very quickly, when you talk about like experts and things like that, do you mean like mentors for you, for you and your, your music? Um, for me, experts is very broad. So that's the people that, that those are the seminars I go to and the masterclasses I go to to be educated. Those are the organisations I work with as a music educator who have certain policies that give me an insight into. So, for example, on the music education side, um, I work with organisations um, and that's how Ellie and I met mm. um, that oh. are participant led. So what does participant led? That means listening to the needs of who you're working with and understanding what they want to get out of it Mm. and creating a structure based on that. Um, So for me, experts goes into people who are consistently developing and working on their skills and have, but going back to your point on mentors, yeah, it can often be people who've been in the industry longer and therefore have more experience. Um, So yeah, I think it's on both levels. 
Yeah, definitely. And I can also imagine that the experts would be like the participants in the group because you're you're working towards what they want. So they're the experts of like what their needs are and you're just taking and molding your ideas to them. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And that that I mean, how how do you feel about it, Ellie? I find that space both exhilarating and terrifying. Because because then you're asking yourself the question, am I the right person to answer your needs? Like, you know you the best. Can I provide what you're needing? <laughs> know, it's it is it is terrifying. But I find that I mean that kind of that kind of thing does it makes it sort of challenges you to really think about your own development and journey and what you need to do it's a it's very much a kind of a tools thing I don't know you play it by ear it's a complete improvisation thing and I do wonder if that's partly why so many um jazz musicians or sort of skilled improvisers do end up going into that participant led kind of work um because I mean is has your has your background always been sort of jazz influenced or is that too hard to say I know that the genre talk is is very <laughs> we talk a lot about genre yeah. <laughs> I hear you I hear it's kind of you, you can't escape it but then mm. I, su- I suppose it's it's like a way to explore it's yeah. like the adventure map and then you go to these different lands and realize they're all connected um very weird analogy, but let's go with it. <laughs> I'm really involved. I'm really connected to my inner child at the moment. So, so many playful analogies are coming through at the moment. Oh, that's wonderful. Keep it going. I know I had, I had such a, I had such um, an image of like, you know, those treasure books where you could pick page one or page three based on your answer. And you'd like go on this journey to all these, all these castles or lands or I don't know. Um, But yeah, going back to to your question about jazz influence. I think I've always listened to jazz. Grew up in a house, my dad played Nina Simone. Um, we had lots of South African jazz as well. I mean, I think it was just always there. So exposure was one thing. And I'm really lucky. I, I come from a family and parents who took me to concerts and you know, culture from such a young age. It was always there. Um, but I suppose, but in my own music, it is jazz influenced. I don't, I don't see myself as a jazz artist because I think there's a certain craft and journey that a lot of my friends and fellow musicians who I so deeply respect have gone on mm. and just the way that they've discovered jazz is quite different um so yeah I would say I think I've always been um influenced by it but the the presence of it has had a different expression if that makes sense in what you were saying about your songs as a 10 year old and your lyrics as a 10 year old and I would love to know what Nina Fine at 10 years old was writing about oh it's it's not even surprising it was uh, well no so it was about love because I think that's a really obvious one like in terms of loving relationships but then I think I also wrote quite a lot about frustrations and anger and insecurity so I think as a kid, depending on, you know, your circumstances, you're going to have different worries. But I think a lot of the time it's whether you fit in and whether you belong. And I think I was quite, an, I, I was definitely a sensitively in tu- like tuned in kid. 
um, it's funny, one of my really close friends and housemates, she was like, we would not be friends in school because I was oblivious to everything <laughs> and you were aware of everything. So I wouldn't have liked you. Um, <laughs> but she loves me now, so it's cool. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I think so, you know, I had a track called Not, not Popular. Um, I had a track called Sometimes, which was all about just accepting, you know, accepting what happens oh. and accepting the way it is. And I think the, the chorus went, sometimes you just gotta go with the flow. And sometimes you just gotta let things go. And sometimes you just got to begin again. I mean, oh. that's oh, beautiful. Oh. That, that, that's, some, that's some good wisdom from like, Nina Fine 10 years old right <laughs> um wish I could have stuck to it more during my teen years but <laughs> oh my goodness this inner child stuff I'm loving it <laughs> that's amazing but that's... and then I think there was another track called oh it was such a su- there was one called hello friend and that was really about lots of concerns I had in the world and just that sense of reaching out to a friend and saying can you try to hear me this is what's going on um and yeah, I, 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 yeah, it's 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 interesting, but it, it was definitely very. I think a lot of it was vulnerable, you know, mm. like wanting wanting to feel that love and wanting the world to be better. Yeah, it also sounds quite mature. Mm. Are you um are you London born and bred? I'm London born and bred. London, I love me, I love me the Londoner born and bred because I only know like one of them, and he's not even properly from London in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> but I always. <laughs> I'll be your London born and bred, Hattie. Perfect. There you go. Perfect. But um, I always wonder if maybe that's, I don't know, I always find that people from London have like a certain like hardiness and like go-getting kind of feel to them. I don't know if you feel mm. that way, Ellie, but I just, I always feel like Londoners are like, they're going places, they're doing things, <laughs> they waste no one's time. And I just wonder <laughs> if like, the sort of, I don't know, I can't sum it up, but I'm just wondering if that kind of like city and like, the fast paceness of the city, because I can't imagine what it was like growing mm. up, like added to that kind of maturity. I don't know, because it's, I definitely would not have written anything like that at 10 years old. I probably wouldn't even write it now. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's just, um, yeah, really incredible that a 10 year old would uh, put that together. Well, do, do you know what was quite funny? I think the first thing I ever wrote, which is called Come Back, um, I think the genuine inspiration, and I'm kind of giggling at myself right now trying to recall it, but. Um, there was a song by J-Lo and it was like, oh, I wish this could be real. Oh, oh. I don't know what it was called. I'm going to find it out later. Yes, we'll, we'll find it out. <laughs> and, um, and I think I saw the video of that and um, and it just kind of gave me that to like start writing on. But, you know, because actually I, I, I've, I've missed, I've missed um, identified. I actually grew up in Chesham, Amersham. That's still on the metropolitan line. Yeah. But Chesham, from the age of zero to five, and then we moved to London. And so so I would, I, I was very lucky that I think in those really early stages to be in nature and appreciate it mm. actually mm. gives you a bit of stillness somewhere, whether you remember it or not. But I so agree with you about the pace. There is something about London that is the most stressful city ever. Mm. It's yeah. addicted to stress. And yeah. and it's it's a ma- it's a massive shock um, to, to anyone's system. So I, I find that really fascinating to compare pace of city with how people yeah how people interact with stuff but I think I, I was just like honestly I was such a busy body I, I I would I wouldn't go to sleep my parents would like leave me in my room at the age of like four and they'd wake I, they'd see me in the morning and I was like over a dollhouse or something I, I was just an intense kid people thank god I mellowed out thank god I mellowed out <laughs> 
I think we might have got on actually as as children. I started writing songs about ten as well, and I wrote um, oh, in in some ways, yeah, similar. I wrote songs about my dyslexia. Um, I wrote Beautiful. songs about um, I had a song called "It's the End," which was about a romantic relationship that wasn't mine, but something that I think I was projecting through things that I watched on in in films and things like that which was really interesting and some people still think it's my best song which is slightly offensive but we'll come back to that. I'm so <laughs> excited please please can we hear a little bit of it I really want to to know Ellie at 10 years old right I I might I, I might see if I can find some of it because it is actually really funny slash good maybe I can I tell you what what I'll do is um I will insert some of it now yes it's very catchy <laughs> it's the end for sure i don't love you anymore it's the end can't you see there is no more you and me it's the end for sure i don't love you anymore it's the end can't you see there is no more you and me it's the end i know you gotta try Oh, beautiful! Woo! No, no knowledge of of a relationship whatsoever, <laughs> like That's that kind brilliant. of thing. But I remember like being in that kind of pop phase, and then deciding that I wanted to go to London to go to Nigel to do some jazz, and I was so, so intimidated. I just thought people from London are so damn cool. I don't see how anyone doesn't feel intimidated to an extent because there are always people who know more in a certain area than someone in the room. But then I suppose the thing that I find helpful is knowing that, and this is something I want to get better at, but if your intention is good, you deserve to be there. You deserve to be there. And I, and I find it really interesting at the moment. Funnily enough, I was, I was chatting to a mentee of mine today and she so beautifully spoke about how... She didn't feel entitled to something, but she felt deserving to get a job with all of the effort that she's been putting in. And I think that that's what excites me. And I think sometimes intimidation comes from when people have expressed themselves in an entitled way and somewhere we don't feel deserving to take up as much space. And even when we have the talent or even when we have the great ideas or even when we've got something to share. And so... Um, so yeah, I, I hear you on the intimidating thing. And I think something that helped me was my cousin, Daniel, once said when I first moved back to London after coming back from Leeds, I was like, I'm going to do stuff in music. And I was interviewing people and he was like, nobody's ever better than you. Even people who've achieved stuff, nobody's ever on a pedestal. So never treat them that way. And it's simple, but it's just true. Nobody's ever better than somebody. And that's why I really, sorry, I'm talking so much. I'm probably, I really care about this, but I think there's always behind, there's always behind the glam. All of us can see, even before social media, you could always see a version that people put forward. But there's always, there's always, I mean, that's what we discover as songwriters. There's always heartbreak behind that. There's always growth behind that. There's always family stuff. Nobody escapes it. We can choose who we share it with, but nobody escapes that. 
Mm. We just experience it at different times. Um, so yeah. And you're both fab. So if you ever need <laughs> if you ever need a boost, I'm having the best freaking time right now. So so if you ever yeah. need a, a confidence boost, just remember I just not not that my opinion matters that much, but um... <laughs> hey, no, it's very des- you're deserving of your opinion. I totally think that. Have your opinion. Um, it's funny you mentioned that. I was listening to a podcast on the weekend. I think maybe the Fern Cotton one, and she interviews Nadia Hussain, the like Bake Off winner. I have a real soft spot for Bake Off for her. And um, there's a point like near the end when she was saying that um, she's realised that she's picked her career on an industry she's working that's like filled with like quite entitled like upper middle class like white men. And she's like, and I have to remember to go into places and have my elbows out and take up space. And I was like, oh my god, like that is the thing. It's like being deserving of where you are. You haven't like got lucky. You deserve to be there just as much as as everyone else. And it can be such a tough thing to remind yourself of, but it's totally true like take up space be deserving and especially especially as as women as well Mm. I think that is such an important thing how do you find that Nina and was that any kind of incentive for being of course as you are founder of women in jazz really interesting question so so I think the first thing I would say is um, I want to give a shout out to Louise Paley who is um founder of women in jazz together because I I've I suppose there's a point I want to come to about partnership and women supporting women and the power of that um, and how much I value it in my journey. Um, so I've been really fortunate that I would say I don't think I have experienced many moments of being um, of feeling like I have been not afforded opportunities or have felt lesser because I'm a woman. Um, but I'm so conscious that that happens frequently to many of my friends to many of the women in the different communities I'm, I'm from or interact with. Um, and, and I suppose one of the things that we, Lou and I discussed when we were creating Women in Jazz um, and building it was that um, gender inequality isn't um, a jazz problem and it's not a music problem, it's a world problem. I know that's obvious, but that, that was just something that happened in our conversation. Um, but the inequality happens on so many levels. And something that I'm really aware of is I think loads of us um, just just discover the conditions that have maybe led to less self-esteem or less belief or less worthiness. Um, and not everybody has this medium of music to express that and to discover that. And I find that a really something that makes me sad. And that's why for me, a big why of what I do is about everybody has the right to express themselves. It's just being able to find the way that works best for them and to unlock it. So. Um, also, I just think, like, women are fantastic. Like, <laughs> they're fucking fantastic. Um, um, in, in, gener- in, in, in the women I've had the pleasure of working with and creating with and, and so on. So um, I don't know if I fully answered that early part of the question. Um, but yes, there's an inequality exists. I'm more concerned about the, not so much the why it exists, because it does. It's more the how. How do we, as creatives, create better structures? create better spaces, collaborate to create better art that is representative um, and most importantly create, yeah, have that so that all voices are present. Um, And so Women in Jazz, yeah, is is about celebration. It's about amplifying those voices, increasing visibility and educating younger girls and women um, to, to know that they can take up that space and express how they express and that there is great offering within that. 
um, and hopefully connecting other other um, collectives or partners with that message and aligning with them in that. Um, yeah, and we and we work on live events, um, not so much at this current time, um, and broadcasts, and so her radio, British Airways, um, and we we've been doing quite a bit of educational work with Guildhall as well, um, and other radio DJ workshops, but. Yeah, that that I definitely don't feel an authority to talk about gender inequality in in the way you've asked, but we know the stats. Like fourteen percent of women are signed to publishers, right? We know that under like I, I'm I want to get my stats right, but it is such a small percentage of female to male artists are signed to record labels. We know that growing up, there were far more male musicians in the sphere than there were women. Um, I find it really interesting when I look at my like younger albums, the things that I was listening to. Um, we also know that 5% of women are instrumentalists in jazz. The stats speak for themselves. There's no argument, which is why... And, and again, it's it, I mean, through women in jazz, we hear so many stories. We hear the structure of jazz jams, how a lot of female players just don't feel like they can play their best because it's so ego-driven and it's so based on how quick you can play. Um, we, we've heard stories where someone is booked for a gig, they're the main musician, and they're asked if they're the girlfriend of one of the bands. You know, we, these stories exist. So I think telling those stories is important. But but I, I really do feel like there's just such incredible talent to be celebrated. I want to see more female producers on the leading mainstream albums. I want to I see them named. I want to see them spotlighted. There's um, Women Music Award. And I think the person who started it, their their mission was for the awards not to exist. Yeah. And I think that's that's and I and going back to your point about men, um, I very much believe you don't have to be a woman to celebrate women. Mm. Absolutely. It's often women who feel that that it, it's easier for them to to sing rather than play other instruments, and that's why I am I am so keen on getting women to start bands and form bands with each other and shout out to girls rock london who are yes, phenomenal wonderful they are phenomenal wonderful um, actually nina have you done any work with girls rock i haven't but i know i know some of the team and they are fantastic individuals and i think they've got such a clear mission yeah. and the ways they are asking and inviting participants to push boundaries to mm. even if they're a musician to work on a um and play an instrument they've never played before so everyone's starting from the same space um i think the fact that it's for 11 to 16 year olds is really interesting mm. that that's an intervention time they've gone for um and and you know they they they're on it they're really on it they're always wanting to understand how they can be better yeah and i love those kind of organizations they're always looking at how the team can be broader mm. and ask the right questions yeah. and I, I think that's the stage we're at at the moment where it's what questions can we ask to to invite the changes that need to happen and in a way that doesn't create threats but rather creates dialogues and multiple dialogues that you're you're such a perceptive educator and I feel like that I mean correct me if I'm wrong because I'd really love to know from you I feel like that seeps into your journey as a musician and your music making because it feels like you you 
are always checking your journey and looking for ways that you can improve your creative process or not even just improve but develop and add how would you feel about that does being an educator influence that mindset at all for your creativity yeah definitely definitely and I, I and I suppose it's interesting because I think a lot of people are educators without officially being educated um, at times mm. and so I would say that um, some people on a soul level are teachers and um, whether that's through leading by example or you know Hattie you spoke about mentors before and I think that that's such an incredible tool that really helps people develop um, but yeah, being being entering the music education sector has massively affected me um, in terms of the different people I've had the privilege to work with, the needs that I've been able to see and learn about, um, and other educators. That there, there is so much, as you say, empathy and asking the right questions if we can to um, make someone feel like they matter, make someone feel represented and heard, and it also I think really on the base level it shows the expansion of music the impact it can have in someone's happiness and in someone's ability to better better understand themselves or build confidence um yeah I, I think it I think it definitely does um but I think I think it's there's also kind of an earlier step which is whether whether people are willing to go into that space because the moment you go into that space you have to change and I think that that's a really daunting thing for a lot of people. And, you know, I just want it, to, it's amazing hearing both of your stories. And I, there's just so much truth. And being willing to show that is a really huge thing. It just is. And I know I've gone a bit more abstract than the question you've asked. And I haven't meant to, but um, <laughs> yeah, I really haven't meant to. Um, <laughs> Goodness, this is what today's been like. I've gone to places I didn't intend to be, but I'm here. <laughs> um, um, but but I suppose what I'm what it makes me the place it gets me to think about is music in my mind makes us show up, show up to the conversations that are hard to have, show up to the vulnerable places that we don't always want to face, and show up to those collective experiences that make us feel more supported than when we feel a deep loneliness. Um. And I think as an educator, you have a responsibility to facilitate that. And that is a really challenging task to do, especially when you already feel vulnerable. And it is just so, it is so refreshing and heartwarming to have these. And I know they seem like abstract conversations, but it is just, just truth. And how, how do you, how do you find that? Do you feel like you've always been someone who kind of radiates the truth and or do you sometimes find it hard because obviously not everybody is like that and from as you say it facilitating it is very difficult but sometimes do you feel like it's something you need to protect oh that's such a good question um first off I, I it's taken me a lot of growing to get to the place I am now and, and I'm always growing, mm. always learning people. Honestly, I went into lockdown thinking, mm. wow, this is going to hit people hard and they're going to have to face themselves. But I've done loads of growing, so I'll be fine. F no, F no, confronted by so much. Mm. Um, so I really do believe you've got to be real. And I really try and do that as much as I can. And sometimes I fall short and sometimes I really am. Like in this conversation, I feel very grounded and present with both of you. Um, 
Yes, it is something to protect, but I think I would use other words potentially, which are boundaries and discernment. Yeah. Um, I think if you're ever doing anything creative or anything giving of yourself, you have to have boundaries in place because it is something that people can really latch onto and and want more of yeah. and will keep wanting more of. Because when you meet someone with great energy or, or, or offering something, you just want to you, you want to suck it up. Um, and I've had major ups and downs with boundaries. Yeah. Um, I'm a big empath. I'm not sure if I do. I you am. Are I am as well. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Honestly, um, there's there's a oh, what's it called? I gave my housemate um, a book called Dealing with Energy Vampires. So if any empaths out there. Um, Honestly, it, it it was a really interesting interesting read. Um, but but yeah, boundaries are important because we do need to protect ourselves um, into making sure that we're giving out the right levels of energy. Mm. Something I call the volume button. So I come from a very um, a very high achieving and positive family, and I adore everyone. Um, but that's a lot of energy. Yeah. And um, I remember my someone uh, my godmother gave me a great piece of advice. I was about to go to. Uh, please cut me off if I'm talking no, too no, long. No. <laughs> um, but I was, I went, um, I was really lucky. So when I first came back to London, um, serendipitously, I started writing for what was Jazz Standard and later became EGH. That was run by um, Tina Edwards, who's an amazing woman. Everybody check her out. She's a DJ. She's on Worldwide FM Daily. She runs something called Universal Sanctuary with Charles. Um, she's really, oh just so much love of that woman and um she yeah her and shannon oran ran this platform and um so through writing in the jazz space i was i was writing and interviewing people like poppy ajuda oscar jerome mm. um a lot a lot you know a lot of people connected to trc um and a lot of that scene um huge respect for a lot of those musicians and so um the reason I'm saying this is that in the summer, um, I ended up doing a bit of interning and more work for them. And so I went to Meadows in the Mountains oh, cool. Festival, which is in Bulgaria. Um, yeah, incredible festival. And um, I remember my godmother saying to me just before I left, Neem, remember that you have a volume button. So when you're giving out your energy, maybe play with, if you turn the volume button a bit down, like let's say 60, 70%, I bet everyone will think and feel you are giving 100%, but you will be conserving your energy and keeping some of that for you. Um, and honestly, it's probably one of the best pieces of advice I've ever had. And I don't always implement it, but when I do, it is one of the most empowering things because that's a truth. Um, often you can reach people with a very special amount of energy, but you don't need to give it all for them to feel like you're entirely present. Um, and so that's something to do with boundaries. And I think the other thing is, like I said, discernment, knowing who the people are that you trust that help light you up mm. and you light up with them. Mm. So if you're working and if you're working with vulnerable people or you're working on projects that take a lot of heart and soul, deciding who those right people are is a form of self-love. Mm. Loads of people speak about that. And I really think it's true because when you have energy vampires, they often don't realize they're your energy vampire. <laughs> Sometimes it can be people you consider your closest friends. Yeah. Um, but if they suck you dry, you lose self-esteem, you lose confidence, and you lose a sense of purpose because you don't have the energy to put that into yourself. In terms of um, kind of boundaries and vulnerability with performance, like you were saying about the volume button, so how does that play into it? Do you 
how much of yourself do you give when you're writing songs and also when you're performing and how much do you use your volume button? Obviously not in a literal <laughs> sense. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. Um, yeah, so I, I love performing live. Um, recently I found it really um, nerve-wracking because I haven't done it consistently and I think when, when there are more gaps. Um, and, you know, going back to the jazz um, intimidation thing, I, I played um, a gig for... Abram Wilson Foundation, a fantastic organisation. We're on the career development programme as women in jazz. Um, and I, I, I'm an educator with them. Um, and Johan Gavedi, amazing jazz artist, was playing with his um, his trio. And then there was, um, I think the project was called Hypernova. Um, but they're real jazzers. And because I don't see myself in that space, I was so nervous, guys. I was like, I was quaking internally. I was so freaking scared. And... And didn't feel like, am I deserving to take up this space? Um, but then when I got on stage, first of all, the, the presence of the audience, I, I really believe in reciprocity. And if there's that flow and exchange of energy, then it doesn't feel as draining, um, I would say. Um, and also, I, I, you know, I, I had a set list and so on, but um, I really got out the way. And to me, the, the best volume button is when I get out the way and I let whatever's meant to happen, happen. Um, so that that's kind of my alternative to the, the volume button is when it comes to performing live, it's what it's meant to be. And usually I give so I give so much of myself because the audience are giving so much of themselves to go on that journey with me. And so that's just pure energizing. There's nothing being taken from that is energizing. It's a privilege to be there. It's a joy to be there. And ever since I was little um, and I, I don't know how you guys feel, um, whether it's in the production setting or in the live setting, when you're doing the thing that feels like the most real version of yourself and you get the opportunity to share that with people it's the most amazing thing um that's not to say you don't have cuck gigs where you don't get that return that's not to say that you know um i know there are so many touring musicians where you know it is knackering and there's the industrial side to it that's really challenging but um the volume button doesn't feel like it needs to be exercised as much because there is reciprocity there and I'm being met by by whatever that time needs I think that I think that's pretty true as well on the whole boundaries and people pleasing and social energy as well I think actually like you were saying um before lockdown I was think people were saying oh what we're gonna do da, da, da. and I was thinking I'm gonna be fine it's gonna be okay and I, it has <laughs> been okay but um I think I might have learned more about myself than I've ever learned actually so it's been and it, it is to do with energy and and social energy and how happy and whole I feel on my own and um and speaking it's it's lovely that we we're able to speak to people um like we are now and through FaceTime and everything but it's it's not the same as interacting with someone one on one. It's a different type of energy and finding the balance when life goes back to normal or some sort of normality, if there even is one or was one. When that happens, I think just learning to retain that balance of of energy of of energy with people that you trust who like you said aren't uh, energy vampires and energy with yourself and 
knowing how to be with yourself. I think people are so, so afraid of that. And hopefully lockdown has taught people um, or helped people to feel at peace with themselves. Um, and yeah, I also wonder if that has made people more creative in some ways or less creative. I'm not sure. How have you found your creativity's been? Oh, it's it, creatively, it's been exciting. I'm backing my music for the first time, which is so scary and so amazing. Um, so, and there are a few things that have been feeding into that. I've been um doing a twelve week book course, um with which is called The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron, and. It's a really old book. I think it was first released in like way, even before I was born, like in nineteen ninety two or something. That's the year I was born. There you go. It was it, two beautiful things happened in nineteen ninety two, people. Um, and do you know what's so funny is so I'm currently staying at my parents' home. Um, my mum broke her leg, so I moved in just before lockdown to take care of her. Mama fine is doing well, people. Just letting you know. Um, but but then I've I've stayed with them since, which is very lucky because I'm near I'm near lots of green spaces. Um, but but yeah, I so I I'm staying in my childhood room, and this book looked at me. It completely like not quite waving because you know it's still a book, but it 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 it, it called me in and um. So, so that's complete. That's really been healing, um, and I think, as you were saying, in the in the space of solitude, we have to face ourselves. And I think, um, yeah, lots of stuff's been been coming up. And so I finally put that recording kit together, and I'm just I'm being playful, and I think somewhere that's what solitude allows us in a way that a lot of us, including myself, seek in things like watching TV. As you were talking, Ellie, something that came in my head was how to, for so many of us, to not face ourselves, we distract and numb ourselves. Um, and I think if if we can try and recognise when things are numb rather than um, exciting or joy bringing, then there's a lot to gain from that. Um, so yeah, I've I've been I've been feeling quite creative and playful. Um, and I'm f- I'm working on my first single ever with an amazing producer who's asking all insightful questions and teaching me. So lots of new spaces, new territory. I loved the way that early ones were like things are in the universe and like you might see them but you don't pick up them at that time and then they come to you at the right time. It's like that book has always been in your life. And it's right now that you've decided to like open it um, and read it. It's funny how that's um, how that's come around. I thought that was quite perfect. It is, and and honestly, I recommend it to anybody. Um, there are some great practices, really great practices. Um, yeah. Oh, actually, on the subject of practices, I was going to say you were talking about boundaries, and do you have like like a actual like boundary kind of like. I want to say like workshop or like some kind of like thing that you do to set the boundaries before like the projects that you do as a music educator or like before gigs do you have like I suppose kind of like a ritual I don't know like an actual thing I think in terms of of if I go to teach a workshop I I kind of imagine a protective layer so it's kind of a visual exercise and it's not a a deep one and it's not it's not a particularly long one but 
I somehow surround myself with a with a layer where I know that I'm protecting myself from whatever's beyond me and it's kind of like a transparent mesh where I can let things in and I can let things out if I choose um but that's that's something I do I think another thing is I I try and I don't always get boundaries right honestly I'm being so honest I really don't but um I think the other thing is being clear with expectations of myself and other people so if we're going into a project um it's saying this is what I expect of myself this is what I expect of you and if that goes wrong, having the courage to have a confrontation conversation where you say, what's going wrong and how do we fix it? So I think a second level for me in boundaries is knowing you can change them if need be. You can't just set a boundary and expect that to work when everyone speaks different languages. Um, so yeah, visualize a protective field, um, set clear expectations. And the one other thing I'd say I do is gut feel. If you have a gut feel, freaking listen to it. It 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 because um and, and, and I think it just comes back to knowing whether people drain you or not and being honest with yourself about that. You don't have to uh, please everyone. Um hard thing to accept. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 Ellie, uh, 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 Ellie, I heard you on the <laughs> yeah. people pleasing when, when you said people pleasing, my heart just yeah. went, Hello. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That resonated with me as well. It's like that word really speaks out. It freaking out. does, doesn't it? And it's so deep. I swear it's so deep. And and I think as a separate thing to boundaries, um, I think grounding practices are helpful. So I know some people, some friends of mine, they have a phrase that they say to themselves that makes them feel present. And I think when you feel present, you are clearer with your boundaries. So um, if whether it's something like I stand in my sensitivity or whether it's, um, I'm here, I'm here now, and the person I am is enough. I think, whatever. again, uh, it's it's for the person to find the language that speaks to them. I'm sure there are loads of people who be like, Shh, I would never say that to myself. Don't worry, just find the right the, the version for you. But I think when there's a bit of self-awareness or grounding, then you can go forth stronger. <laughs> Kind of like a like a mantra, like finding your own mantra for exactly. Do you feel like there should perhaps be more of a place in in education for recognizing um, those sort of different energies and um, and being able to feel empowered enough to ground yourself and set boundaries or do you think that it really is something that can only truly be learned and um, taken in by experience what form of education would it take for that to be taught Um, is it a more scientific leaning of literal boundaries and when you I remember in school years like when I was tiny we did a kind of okay walk towards the person and stop when it feels comfortable and it showed that it was when we did that everybody had stopped at arm's length so there was an instinctive this is this is a boundary this is like you deciding what personal space is for you so 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 there's that or or you go into the more emotional area and it and, and it's unpacking relationships what it means to relate to each other um, and of course, then that's going to lead into spaces of everyone's got a different household or a different environment they come from. 
um, I'm not trying to deconstruct everything, um, but but uh, but it's it's and and so boundaries mean totally different things. You can have a family that never hug, or you could have a family that always kiss on the lips. Um, there are so many little nuances that I think it would be challenging to encapsulate all of that taken in taken into account. But I think there is definitely something important, and I and I think that there's a huge shift towards increasing i think there's still a lot more to do but you always need foundations to start from um, on mental health awareness and i think that mental health awareness relates to self-awareness they're not the same thing at all i'm never going to say they're not the same thing at all but if you can i mean not to simplify but does it really come into if 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 education can play a role in facilitating healthy self-esteem in students there's something to be said and you can achieve, you can facilitate those areas to explore and develop self esteem, especially if it's not coming from other places. Something that I I don't know if you feel Ellie, but I've you know I've worked with like lots of young people where they're sure as hell aren't getting that from a home environment. So the school has to give it, and I think the schools are being asked for so much at the moment. Um, but yeah, it's if you can help someone have self esteem, then somewhere you are giving them the tool to trust their own decisions. And I think to me, there's the crux, is if you trust yourself to make the right decisions and to be able to deal with the consequences of your decisions, then that comes into relationships, that comes into respect, that comes into following your truth, um, somewhere it leads to self-acceptance. But I see a bit of a difference between self-improvement and self-growth. Because to me, you can do self-improvement without doing the under the skin, tough decision, tough changing, tough morphing. And I think lockdown and I think lockdown is actually somewhere pushing us into the growth phase, which is a lot messier, a lot harder. Um, I think improvement's mega important, but on a soul level, there's something that shifts growth i feel like the interesting thing about this lockdown is that there's the potential for collective growth and when we're talking about growth often we talk about individual and our, our individual personal experiences of how we set boundaries etc and this feels like it could be a real opportunity for collective growth and something that if if you know, if maybe maybe it's part of everybody um, doing their own personal work and coming together and thinking, can we live our lives differently and in a happier way? As you said, Ellie, the collective growth. Collective growth. I love, I love this that. Is, this has been lovely. This really has. I mean, it's been amazing having you. I totally feel the same as Ellie. I feel like I'm gonna go like. It's been very cathartic. I feel very honoured. I'm so thankful. It's been so special. Oh my goodness, people, Nina, fine. Did I not tell you it was going to be like a therapy session? Oh, and actually, we recorded that during the midst of lockdown. So it was really what we all needed. Hattie and I felt so refreshed after that conversation. And uh, it was it was just incredible. She is 
an absolute treat we love Nina and I'm so excited because she's going to be releasing some music within the next couple of months and if you want to keep up to date with that I would absolutely go ahead and follow Women in Jazz on Instagram which is at women in underscore jazz and you can even follow Nina which is at Nina Fine Music that's completely one word so excited for Nina and everything that she's going to get up to in the future you've got to keep her on repeat and let us know what you thought of this podcast thank you so much for listening everyone we hope you've enjoyed the episode and want to keep us on repeat You can follow, subscribe and like us on your podcast platform of choice and slide into our DMs on Instagram by following us at onrepeatthepodcast. All information will be included in the show notes. On Repeat was made, produced and edited by us and the theme music is an original piece by Ellie's jazz band, Fujiyama and wonderfully resampled by Dee, the producer for the podcast. All of our guests give us permission to use their music. Thanks again for listening and don't forget to keep it on repeat.